Pastor Xavier Reese and an Old Testament picture of being saved by faith. Listen to Hebrews 11:7. By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world. He moved in belief and trust that what God revealed, he was going to perform. Whether it made sense to him or not, he acted on God's revelation. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. You might think that man has fallen so far and that the gravity of sin is so great that the end must surely be near. Now, the end may be near, but man has always been good at sinning. Today, as Pastor Xavier continues his trek through the book of Genesis, we come to a dark time in history where sin seemed to rule the world, but the faith of one man prevailed. Here's Pastor Xavier with today's message, The Great Evil of Noah's Day. Let's listen. Genesis chapter 5, verses 28 to chapter 6, verse 8, and the message entitled, The Great Evil of Noah's Days. Now, Noah stood alone as a man of faith in the midst of a perverse and degenerate generation. He stood trusting God. He would not bend to the wind of his day. Instead, he became an instrument of God for the judgment to come. And what we want to do is look to Noah from the world that he lived in by looking at three recorded facts about him. And we find him in our text here. Let me read verse 28 of chapter 5 to verse 8 of chapter 6. Lamech lived 182 years and had a son. He called his name Noah, saying, This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord had cursed. After he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years and had sons and daughters. All of the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, the daughters were born to them. And the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful. And they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his day shall be 120 years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God came to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And so the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Here's the three recorded facts regarding Noah and the days that he lived. The proximity of Adam to the days of Noah we find in verse 28 to 32 of chapter 5. Then secondly, we have the perversity of marriage in the days of Noah, verse 1 and 4 of chapter 6. And then thirdly, we have the propensity of evil in the days of Noah in verse 5 through 8. The proximity of Adam 
that the days of Noah, very, very important, because sometimes we think that it was way too long. Well, we're going to see exactly what the record says here. Notice verse 28 to 29, that the generation of Noah's father was the ninth generation from Adam. Noah's father's name was Lamech, as you know, and it means powerful, conquer. He's of the line of Seth, those who are walking with God. He begot Noah, as it says here in verse 28, at a ripe old age of 802 years old, merely a child. And it might be like today, we think somebody having a child at 45, 50 years old. We think, oh, he's old for that, but, you know, in proportion to the longevity. In verse 29, notice that he gave his son the name Noah, which means rest and comfort. We've talked about this before. And the meaning here is given to the comfort regarding the work of the toil of man's hands due to the curse. So perhaps in some way, there has been a relief of the curse on the earth from before the flood. Perhaps it was much greater effect upon the earth then. It would be a relief afterward. We're not sure. But there's some connection there. Now, the name of Noah was prophetic of the coming judgment as we look to the record. The consequences of the fall were still fresh in the minds of man, though it had been 1,056 years at this point. When you live 900, 1,056, no big deal. <laughs> still in the fresh, in the mind of man. Now, Noah was a descendant of the line of Seth, who began to call on the name of the Lord, as it tells us in chapter 4, verse 26. So this is the godly line. Noah's great-grandfather was Enoch, as you know. He was translated. He walked with God, as we saw in chapter 5, verse 24. Great heritage. Noah's grandfather was Methuselah. His name means when he dies, the end comes. So he had a great heritage, chapter 5, verse 27. He lived 969 years along his living. He died the day of the flood. So he comes from good stock, but he had to make a choice himself. It wasn't automatic. Notice in verse 30 to 32, Noah's generation was the tenth from Adam. In verse 30, Lamech, after he begot Noah, lived 595 years, and he got sons and daughters. Mark that. The birth of many other sons and daughters took place. We're not given all the names, but this phrase is repeated in verse 4, 7, 10, 13, 16, 19, 22, 26, 30. Other sons and daughters. Now, what is important to notice, and maybe you haven't noticed this, this is the first time I really picked up on it, is that all the years are given very meticulous here in chapter 5. All the names are not given, but we say sons and daughters besides the ones that are named. So it appears very obvious that the purpose, one of the purposes of chapter 5 is to give us a chronological timeline of years. Not so much all the names, but very few places in Scripture do we have the years exact. And when the years are exact, God wants us to know the calculation. This is not the norm of Scripture. So I believe that possibly here, chapter 5, there are no gaps because all the years tie together. The names are not itemized, but the years are meticulous and they're one to the other. All the days of Lamech were 775 years and he died, verse 31 says. So Noah's father, after he died, Noah bore three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, at a ripe old age of 500, verse 32. It is through these three that God begins the new world. And as we move on, we'll see this more clearly. So it has been 1,556 years of man's existence to this point. 
taking the years that are in chapter 5. Now, Noah lived 950 years. Chapter 9, verse 29 tells us when we get there. The close proximity of Noah to Adam's death may seem a bit long until you put it in relationship and perspective to the longevity. The average lifespan of the 10 generations, as you look at chapter 5 here, is 857 years. If you divide 126 years of gap between Noah and Adam, his death, into the average of those 857 years, you get a ratio of 6.8 in proportion to the total of 857. Now, if you take the average years today of 70 years and you divide it by that same ratio, 6.8, you come up with 10.2 years. So to get an accurate concept of the time separation between Noah and Adam, it would be as if your grandfather or mine had died 10.2 years before our birth. Yet your father had known your grandfather for 40 to 45 years to communicate everything he knew. Okay? Now, if in fact there are no gaps in five, which I believe they're not, but if in fact there are no gaps also in the genealogy after the flood, then it would give us 2,000 years from Adam to Abraham. Okay? We're not positive about the genealogy when we get to chapter 11. Okay, chapter 10 and 11 there. But it would seem to indicate, and certainly geology from its fossil record would indicate a much younger earth than the quote-unquote evolutionists tell us. Okay? So if we go with the assumption of the 2,000 years, even though Noah was born in 1056 B.C., 126 years after Adam's death, which would be 930 B.C., and 14 years from the death of Seth in 1042 B.C., the connection is close. Because listen to the line that follows. Enoch lived 308 years as a contemporary with Adam. 308 years. Methuselah, lived 243 years as a contemporary with Adam. Lamech, Noah's father, lived 56 years as a contemporary with Adam. Eight of the ten generations were alive at, the, at his birth with the exception of Adam and Seth. The information was fresh. Now, Noah had firsthand knowledge about the creation, about the fall, about the murder of Abel, about Enoch being taken up without dying. And if that is so, then when we get to after the flood, Terah, the father of Abraham, if there are no gaps there, he was born 222 years after the flood, Genesis 11, 10 through 24 tells us, as you do the calculations. Noah lived 350 years after the flood, Genesis 9.28 tells us. 350 years after the flood. Noah and Terah would have been contemporaries for 128 years. Now, 
We are told that Terah begot Abraham at 130 years of age. Not the 70 that is usually ascribed to him in Genesis 11:26. Because of the commentary of the New Testament, we know this. Terah died at 205 years old when Abram left Haram at 75 years of age. If you subtract the 75 from 205, you get 130. That was the true age of Abraham's birth. Terah was 130. And so if you calculate it that way, that would be 352 years after the flood, showing us that Noah died two years before Abraham was born. In Genesis 11, 32, and you take it all the way to 12, 4. So we see the timetable. It's not, I mean, I used to sit in Mexico City and talk to my grandma in the 80s. And, um, you know, she was born in 1894. And um, her parents probably got married, say, 20, 25 years before that. So, you know, put that about 75. So they were probably born somewhere about uh, 1850. And she was telling me stuff from way back then. That's a long time. Can you imagine when you live 900 years? All the information, the connections, the extension you have? The proximity of Noah to Adam was relatively close if you really look at the record. Now, notice what follows the proximity. The perversity of the marriages in the days of Noah, chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. Verse 1 and 2, the angelic and the human activity on the earth is recorded. The human multiplication was great. The context places this section with chapter 5, when there was a population explosion occurring. Take out the chapter division. It's one record completely, okay? That's the connection. The word man has the article indicating mankind in general, and the daughters also refer to normal women born to men, recorded in, verse, in chapter 5, Okay? And this was according to the mandate to Adam, be fruitful and multiply in Genesis 1.28. According to God's design for male and female in the institution of marriage, Adam and Eve had their first son, Cain, chapter 4, verse 1. Nothing wrong with marriage, nothing wrong with having children. But something was going wrong here with these marriages. Look at verse 2. The angelic involvement was genetic tampering. Okay. And by my labels, you're saying, where do you get that? We're going to show you as we, look, uh, as we look to the text. Verse 2, the sons of God saw the daughters of men, and they were beautiful. There are three or four basic interpretations held as to who the sons of God are. Some believe that the sons of God refer to the seed of Seth, the godly line, in the seed of Cain, the ungodly line. That's one interpretation. And they were unequally yoked. And certainly we know 2 Corinthians 6, 14 were not to be unequally yoked in the Old Testament. Okay? That's one interpretation. The second is others believe that they were superior kings here of royalty, rulers who were marrying common people. Okay? The third one is that it's demon possession. And the fourth one is that these are literal angels. Okay? Now... We want to look to the text to find out if we can allow the text 
in the whole of scripture to dictate what it might be, regardless of what we might think or anything. We want to be true to the text. The biblical evidence throughout the Old Testament, the phrase sons of God, is never found for man. Throughout the Old Testament, it's only used for angels. Job chapter 1, verse 6. Job chapter 2, verse 1. Psalm 29, 1. Psalm 89, 6. And also Job 38, 7. Even Daniel 3, 25 has an angelic theophany there. Okay? So the entire Old Testament, this is the only place that we find this phrase, as well as the others, and they all refer to angels. So right away we have a consistency on how it's used. We're not given the interpretation here, but we are in every other passage. It's angelic. Now, we do find other phrases in the Old Testament as children of God or people's relationship to God, but not this particular phrase. It is interesting that Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew writings, translates this angels. That's how it translates it. Now, in the New Testament, we are called sons of God. But we have to take the Old Testament and interpret it by the Old. And if the New Testament interprets that passage, then we'll take it. But we cannot apply because that is a term for born-again people under the age of grace. This is a whole different thing. So the context is very important. Now, the sons of God, it says they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. All right? So we're going to go with the interpretation. Now, this has nothing to do with salvation. If you want to go with demon possession, you want to go, fine. But don't go postal. Lighten up, Francis. Okay? <laughs> I want to be true to the text. All right? So just stick with me. Notice here that the sons of God took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. The simple and the most obvious understanding is that these angels entered into a marriage covenant. It sounds bizarre, but hang on, okay? Let's follow it. This was a corruption of the marriage institution that God gave to Adam and Eve in Genesis 2, 24 through 25. Now, he kicked them out of the garden so that they would not live eternally in a fallen state. Is this another attempt to try to live eternally in some way? Certainly man is always trying to live forever the fountain of youth and everything else. Now it's the miracle of liposuction, implants, and everything else. They had oxygen bars for a while, right? You go in there and suck down a couple of gallons of oxygen. You're going to add 10, line, 10 years to you or something. Interesting. The sin is parallel to that of the garden, which was forbidden in chapter 3, verse 6. The sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful. As Eve, the fruit, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye. There it is again. The sons of God took wives, notice that, for themselves of all whom they chose, as Eve, the pride of life. I want it. You take it. Every appearance of angels in the Bible, by the way, is always in male form. There has never been a girly angel. They're all male. Keep that in mind. Now, the text does not imply any forcing of the women, but implies a consent 
of the will, both of the fathers as well as the women. Covenant's going on. Life as usual. Interesting. Now, look at verse 3. The divine verdict on the angel act, angelic activity on the earth is given. This judgment is directly related to what's going on. Context, context, context. God declared that his spirit would not strive with man forever. The words are those of Yahweh, the covenant God. The word strive means to contend, to plead. God's spirit convicts us. God's spirit tries to stop us from getting into evil. God's spirit tries to save man, turn him from their sin. God is working, trying to turn man. God says, it's going to be over. Both implying here the end of God's spirit with man to turn him from his sin, death, and ultimate judgment. Now, there is a parallel as God expelled man from the garden, lest he eat forever, as I said in chapter 3, verse 22. Something was going on here that God says, don't go there. The context here is perhaps an indication of man attempting to live forever through the angelic man cohabitation. We have to look at the text. And we're going to give you New Testament confirmation of this. It is difficult for some to accept the possibility of angels entering marriage relationship on the earth. But is not the Antichrist going to be the incarnation of Satan? Hmm. Look at verse 3. God declared that man is flesh. With a physical body, he's temporal. Flesh is used as corrupt humanity, fallen, in verse 12, sinful. Here, he's just physical, he's temporal. Flesh is an enemy of God, Romans 8, 6 through 8 says. God's spirit is a life-giving source to man, not his Man's engineering of genetics to live like a God. Which begs the question to a lot of the scientific stuff that's going on right now with genetic engineering. Hmm. God, therefore, notice at the end of verse 3 there, declares a set time period for judgment for the destruction of the human race. Some believe this refers to the limiting age of 120 years, that they would, man would not, not live beyond 120 years. But this cannot be the interpretation because Abraham lived 175 after the flood, Isaac 180, Jacob 147, Aaron 123. So this cannot be that man would not live more than 120. This cannot be the interpretation. So the interpretation has to be that there's only 120 years before judgment comes. That has to be the interpretation. Look at verse 4. The inhabitants were said to be giants on the earth in those days and also afterwards. Now, the word giants, Nephilims, comes from the word now fall, to fall, to cast down. The general consensus is that it is referring to vicious people, attackers, warriors. Notice the giants were present. Here's the phrase, in those days and afterwards. Now, that's been interpreted different ways. I believe that it means pre-flood, indicating the period that these angels, the sons of God, came into the daughters of men and bore children, not after the flood, but during the hundred-year period of grace remaining for the flood. The context is very specific. It was during this time that God speaks and describes this thing that grieved them so much that was occurring. It was because of these unions 
Nothing wrong with regular marriage has been going on. Chapter 5 gives us all of that. But all of a sudden, there's an exception here. Something was going on different. The perversity of the marriages in the days of Noah were angelic. I have to let the text speak for itself. Pastor Xavier Reese and the Tragic Effects of Sin. And you can request a copy of today's important study called The Great Evil of Noah's Day. As always, we're making copies available on CD for just $4. And all you need to do is tell us which you prefer when you contact us. And don't forget to pass these truths along to a friend or loved one after you're through. The title to ask for once again is The Great Evil of Noah's Day. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's helpful when you tell us the call letters of this station when you contact us. Has man fallen so far away from God to eliminate all hope? Find out when you join Pastor Xavier Reese as he brings us the next edition of Simple Truths. Hope to see you then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com